0: Well, hey, everyone. We are glad that you're here joining us online. Hate that you couldn't be with us in person, but if nothing else, we're glad that you're spending a few minutes with us here online as we are continuing with our series, Heart of a Maverick, where we've been over the last few weeks looking at the life of David, specifically the heart of David, and what that teaches us about the heart of God and where we should be headed with our own hearts. And so if you are just now jumping in, this is your first experience with the orchard. A lot of these messages are available online. Go back and catch up. If you've been there in person, you just had to be out this week, you know where we've been, right? We've seen David, a shepherd boy in the field, anointed the next king of Israel. We've seen David made a hero after his defeat of Goliath. We've seen David on the run for his life, hiding in caves, escaping King Saul. We've seen David restore the ark of God to its rightful place in Jerusalem. And then even last week, we saw David extend unimaginable imaginable kindness to the grandson of the king who tried to kill him we've seen all of this in David's heart and it's and it's all been a good picture of what our heart should be like but I think the mistake that we can make is thinking that when we see all of these good things in the life of David we can kind of fall into the false idea that David's heart was perfect David's heart was absolutely not perfect. Yes, it was a heart after God's heart. David had a desire for the Lord and to be like him. But David, like each and every one of us, was a flawed and by nature sinful human being. And today, that's what we're going to look at. Though David had a heart like God... He had some real issues with sin that he had to struggle with, and maybe the clearest picture of that is when we read the account of David and his sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, we're not going to read the entirety of the story. I'll just kind of hit the high points. You have King David, who the author of 2 Samuel makes a point to note, was not out in the field with his armies where kings were supposed to be, but instead he was at home and And as he was at home in the palace, walking among the palace rooftops, he sees a very beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing. And he asks about her, and they say, this is Uriah the Hittite's wife. Nariah was out in battle, and David said, well, I want her and he had her brought to the palace they slept together and he sends her home he finds out later that now she's pregnant and so trying to cover up his sin he brings Uriah in from the battlefield telling him to go be with his wife but Uriah says it's not right for me to do that when my fellow soldiers are still dying on the front lines and so he won't even go into his house to be with his wife he sleeps at the front door and so now David's panicking wondering when somebody's going to figure out what has happened and so trying Trying to cover up his sin even more, he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle, knowing that he was going to most likely be killed, and sure enough, he was. And so, David, now desiring for people to see him as the gracious king, invites Bathsheba into his household and makes her one of his wives. And, and so, you know, now this is all smoothed over, right? Well, not exactly. Because while David did his best to cover up his sin, his sin found him out. And that's what we're going to be reading today in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to start reading it in verse 1. And I want you to look at what it says here in 2 Samuel 12, 1. We read, So the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now Nathan was the prophet in the land. He was the one who spoke on behalf of God to the people and to the king. And after the sin has happened, after David thought it was covered up, God sends Nathan to David. He sends Nathan to David to confront him over this sin. And so, what Nathan does is he confronts David through a parable. Let's read. It says So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and another poor. And the rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. And from his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who would come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. So... Nathan confronts David, not immediately head on, but with this story, this parable, that is going to wind up having David acknowledge his own wrongdoing. He says that there's a rich man and a poor man, and that is to be the poor man Uriah, the rich man David, and the lamb is Bathsheba, right? And the poor man loved this lamb. He cared for this lamb. He raised this lamb. This lamb was a part of his family. It had its heart, but the rich man just thought he needed it. Even though he had others, he thought he needed it. Man, that's a a clear picture, I think, that any of us can see of how David is a king. He already had wives. He had a harem. He just desired Bathsheba to gratify his own lust. He didn't love her. He just wanted her. And so when you read this story, not as David and Uriah, but as two men, a rich one, a poor one, and a lamb, it becomes obvious just how wrong this rich man was. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading in verse 5, it says that David was infuriated with that man. David was infuriated with the rich man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he's done this thing and shown no pity he must pay four lambs for that lamb and Nathan replied to David you are the man This is what the Lord of God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I considered evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Wow. I don't know if David saw this coming. I think in my mind, I think David thinks he had covered this up and nobody knew. And David, full of righteous indignation, pronounces judgment on the rich man. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're the man. You've done this thing. And then he pronounces the judgment of the Lord upon David, the conviction of what David has done. David, you are wrong. This is what you've done. You've despised me. God says, David, I gave you everything. I gave you the throne. I handed the enemies into your hand. I gave you all the possessions you could desire. You have wives upon wives. If you would have wanted more, you could have had more. But why did you do this? In verse 11, David has to kind of reckon with the consequences of that action. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. So there are consequences for David's sin. There are consequences that the Lord is going to bring into his life as a result of what David did with Bathsheba and to Uriah. And confronted with all this, confronted with the conviction, confronted with the consequences, in verse 13, we see David respond in confession and acknowledgement of his failing. Verse 13, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And I believe that David is very genuine here. I believe that this is a contrite and broken heart that we see in David. I'm going to show you why in just a minute. But David here cries out that I have sinned, but he doesn't say I've sinned against Uriah. He doesn't say I've sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he has, but most importantly, David realizes that he has sinned against the Lord. All of our sin is first and foremost against the Holy God that we claim to know. That is is what David recognizes. And when David recognizes his sin, what we're going to see is that David's sin is forgiven, but he still has to bear the consequences. Keep reading. David responded to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. And then Nathan went home and the Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became deathly ill. See, I think this is something that we as believers today struggle with, right? That David confessed his sin. We're going to see that David repented of his sin. That's the word we're going to come back to. And because he confessed and repented, his sin was forgiven. And yet he still had to bear the consequences of his sin. I think that's still true for us today, right? That when we sin, if we come to Jesus and repent of our sin, our sins are forgiven, moved away as far as the east is from the west. However, just because God can uh, forgive our sin doesn't mean that God will remove the consequences for our sin. And in this particular case, the consequences of David's sin was the death of his son. Does that seem hard for us to understand, but I think on this side, the New Testament side of the cross of Jesus, we know that the consequences that we bear for our sin are not the angry punishment from a God who does not love us, but the consequences of the sin in our life that we endure are used by God to draw us ultimately closer to him. And that's why my favorite pastor, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, says that I've learned to kiss the wave that crashes me against the rock of ages because anything in our lives, good or bad, even the bad and harsh consequences for our actions, a holy and sovereign God can and will use to bring us closer to Him. And if it brings us closer to Him, that's what's going to matter in eternity. So it's an incredible story here. About a heart that was a heart after God's heart, but a heart that was not perfect, a heart that was flawed. And so, just in the few minutes we have together today, I want to I want to just quickly point out some things that I think we should learn from this passage. First thing is, I think we learn a few things about David's heart, right? I don't want to just blow by and you think it's not important, but it's important for us to see here that David's heart was flawed. I think that there's this idea that once you know Jesus as your Savior and you ask him to forgive you, that you're then perfect and holy and nothing else matters. Yes, you are positionally perfect and holy before God. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. But practically, we are still sinful. The sin nature we have dwells in our very flesh, in our hearts. And so we are flawed creatures for the rest of our life who have to grow in Christ-likeness. And so just because you blow it, just because you fail, just because you fall down, doesn't mean you don't know Jesus. Even those of us who have been following Jesus for decades are still in our hearts flawed. But the point here is that not just did David have a flawed heart, but don't miss this, David had a repentant heart. To repent means to turn away from our sin and to turn to God. And so yes, we have a flawed heart and even after knowing Jesus, we can still sin and mess up and fall down, but we will also always turn from that sin back to him. We must repent. Second thing, we learn things about God's heart. Right? First thing I think we learn is that God does not tolerate sin even in his chosen servants. As much as David loved God, we can imagine God loved David and yet he was not willing to overlook or diminish the sin in David's life. In fact, because of his love for David, he sent Nathan to confront him with his sin. See, God confronts sin in the hearts of his people in order to bring conviction in their life. Now, I think we need to understand that God brings conviction, not because He's angry with us, but because He loves us. The conviction of God in our life is a good thing, something that we should not shy away from, because it is that conviction that leads to repentance and turns us back to Him. If God didn't love us, He would leave us to our sin, to ourselves. But the convicting work of God in our life is proof of his love that he is trying to draw us back to himself. Why? Because at his heart, God is merciful and desires to forgive our sin. And I think maybe... The biggest thing that we learn from this story is not just about David's heart and God's heart and what that means for our heart, but I think if we dig a little deeper, we can see very clearly what repentance looks like. So if you got your Bibles open, skip over uh, several chapters, several books to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm that's written by David. And if you look at the top of Psalm 51, you'll see that that psalm was written when Nathan came to him after he'd gone to Bathsheba. And what's interesting to note is those little italicized words at the beginning of psalms, before it says verse one, those are actually in the earliest manuscripts of the text. So this isn't something that the editors of your English Bible put in. This is something that the Hebrew authors put in. This was there from the beginning. So this is what David is writing as he repents of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And because he's writing this, we can see what that repentant heart looks like in the steps that it takes. Just look at it with me. I think the first thing we see is that a repentant heart is a heart that turns to God. Verse 1, David writes, he says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. See, when David repents, he turns to God. And this is huge because in your life, you're always going to have two choices when you sin. When you sin, when you fall, when you blow it, you can either run from God or you can run to God. A repentant heart always runs to God. And then running to God, the repentant heart asks for cleansing. Verse 2 says, Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. He asked for cleansing, he asked for forgiveness, and then he goes further, that repentant heart confesses the seriousness of that sin. Verse three, he says, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I've sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was a sinner when my mother conceived me. Now, this is huge because David is acknowledging here the full weight of his sin. He is not downplaying it. He is not minimizing it. In fact, in chapter 51 of the Psalms, this Psalm has three different words that David uses to describe his sin. And each of these words show a different side of that sin, a different depth of that sin. David was not diminishing his sin. Matter of fact, he realized his sin was not just something he did, but a part of who he was. There is no true repentance until we can acknowledge the weight and the complexity and the depth of our sin. This is so much more than just a small mistake or a bad choice. This is sin. And then finally, we see David cry out for renewal. He says, surely You desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. So we see this cry, God, renew me from the inside out. And that's why it's so important for us to understand the the necessity of repentance in the life uh, of the believer, in the heart of the believer. See guys, repentance is more than just a one-time action where you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and come in your heart. Yes, that's the start of it. Repentance for the believer is an ongoing posture of our hearts where we are constantly asking the Lord to seek out those places where we fall short, the places where sin has a foothold, and we cry out for cleansing and forgiveness, renewal and restoration. We should always be quick to repent. Why? Because our hope is in Jesus and not our own self-righteousness. I have no problem admitting, God, I need you to forgive me. God, I need you to change my heart because I know when I look in the mirror that I am a sinner and that I need the grace of Jesus even today. I think we get to the point where we let our self-righteousness be our hope before Jesus, but that was never our hope. It will never be our hope. Our hope is not in our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus who took our place on our cross. And because of that, we can also, Always be quick to repent, knowing that our forgiveness is certain and sure. So, I hope that you will take some time today, this week, and ask the Lord to search your heart. That you will begin to take a posture of repentance. Asking God to cleanse you, to forgive you, to renew you. And that even if you're not in a season of brokenness right now, maybe you're riding high on that mountain that the next time you blow it and the next time you fall, that like David, you'll turn to repentance, turn to God, and not run away. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for the time you've given us today to look to your word. God, I pray it's been helpful that you would create in us hearts of repentance. God, that you would create in us hearts that are willing and quick to turn to you because we know that in you, we already are fully forgiven and fully accepted because of Christ.